this is the conclusion of a novel in which the narrator is um, unreliable. Characters at the edges and on the edge. Remaining a perpetual possibility. Lonely, violent, deeply American life. Only in a world of speculation. True ease in writing comes from art, not chance. Very fine is my Valentine. Very fine and very mine. You're listening to the Grand Podcast Abyss with John Pistelli. Great and puffed up with his retinue. Everybody, you're listening to the Grand Podcast Abyss. I'm your co-host John Pistelli, and I'm here with my co-founder Sam Worthington. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing well, John. You know, you've been uh, pretty active past couple weeks on the blog, on the Tumblr, on the WordPress. What's been going on in the internet lately? <laughs> That's a great question, Sam. Um, yeah, this will be another episode, by the way. We like to give our listeners a break from time to time, so we're going to not talk about a great classic work of the Western tradition as if we were in the seminar room. We're going to enter the uh, churning world of internet gossip and, uh, and, and the world of tech startups and monarchical politics and all sorts of frightening things. So I was interested today, Sam, in... An article that was written by one Justin Murphy. Do you know Justin Murphy? Oh, yeah. I've I've seen him on a couple of YouTube videos. I've read a couple of his articles. Seems smart. Yeah, real smart guy. He was a um, social scientist by training or political scientist by training. And he got a PhD and he got a tenure track job. And let me tell you, those are not thick on the ground. Uh, But he left academia, I think. He left voluntarily. He did get in a bit of trouble. I think, to be honest, he called someone, you'll forgive the term, a retard on the internet and got in some trouble for that. Uh, But he did end up leaving academia voluntarily. Mm -hmm. He struck out on his own. And he is one of our major examples of of someone trying to recreate intellectual life outside of the institutional spaces that once harbored intellectual life. So you're speaking about him as if uh, you're observing... What are earnest efforts to make interventions into what you've called um, our moment of maximal ideological chaos? So what do you respect about his efforts? What is he saying? Who is he tangling with? What's going on? Yeah, he is um, – and I, you know, I have mixed feelings about what he's trying to do and he's kind of experimenting a lot. So he kind of goes this way and goes that way. He created a community called Indie Thinkers, which – is a little self-congratulatory. Like Indianapolis? No, like independent. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit of a self-congratulatory. town. <laughs> but he um, he created a community called Indie Thinkers. He created a um, podcast called Other Life, which is a great podcast if you want to know some of the personalities who are trying to be independent artists and intellectuals in the mm-hmm. online world because he interviews a lot of them. Um, he's ideologically very opaque. Um, he started out as a left winger, an anarchist, Occupy Wall Street guy. As all the good ones do. As all the good ones do. Um, now he's, I think, I don't want to misrepresent him, but I think he's associated now more with the realm of Curtis Yarvin, Peter Thiel. Um, he's big into Urbit. Do you know what Urbit is? No. Well, that makes two of us. Um, <laughs> or I don't understand what Urbit is myself. But Urbit was is a technological platform founded by Curtis Yarvin, the neo-reactionary philosopher, um, in the 2000s. And what it it's related to cryptocurrency. It's got something to do with – it's kind of like a platform like Facebook or Twitter – where there's a social media component, but you own your own data and you own your own kind of identity through the platform. So you're not hostage to some okay. corporation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's like this. <laughs> well, let me just say real quick. Yeah. If only these young people knew just how destabilizing cryptocurrency could be to the United States government. Isn't Curtis Yarvin <laughs> 50 years old, these young people. Um, Some people never mature. (laughs) Never mature. Um, Yeah, and I'm not – I'm really unsure about cryptocurrency. I'm open to cryptocurrency. I think it could be destabilizing. I also think, though, the other side of the argument that it could be destabilizing is 
how will it secure this freedom from the government? People act as if the internet existed in the ether or something, but it exists in server farms you know and fiber sec- optic cables. You I know mean- how you secure freedom from the government? Oh, Jesus, tell me. You follow its laws <laughs> and you mobilize democratic interest groups and persuade people um, to to uh, in, um, vote and support your interests. Yes. That's how you secure freedom for your government. Sam is our resident. You don't have to remake the wheel. You... Sam is our resident moderate um, centrist. I still have some interests in anarchic possibilities of um, – because I think within the ideal of a secular republic, there have to be secure spaces of freedom, civil freedom, cultural freedom. We mm-hmm. talked about this in our Fukuyama episode. So if somebody can create technologies that – are safe from government interference to allow that civil society to flourish, I can be friendly to that. I can accept that. I can even be excited and interested about that. If those engineers of, of, of non-governmental uh, uh, pockets of, of liberty-loving culture and expression, if they themselves are liberal, perhaps, but all I see from the proposals and the architects of these systems, what I see behind it, the smartest people who are influencing it and leading it practice illiberal politics and are sympathetic to illiberal tendencies within world politics. That's fair, and that's certainly true of Curtis Yarvin, who is a neo-reactionary, and his views um, – do you know about Curtis Yarvin, Mencius Moldbug? I know about Curtis Yarvin. Have you read his – his blog his blog is his I've, mar- I've marveled at his volubility yeah it's very verbose um we're we're actually recording in a week where i think just yesterday a long uh profile of curtis yarvin appeared in tablet magazine for which i've myself have written a uh, profile written by jacob siegel and that would be a great place to start if you're not familiar with his views um to the listeners it's very fair it doesn't in any way um, skimp on describing the illiberalism of his views, but it's also written in a tone. I think a lot of his liberal liberal media uh, has been written in a hysterical tone about uh, Nazis or something, and it, it doesn't. It, it approaches him charitably enough to understand what he's saying within his own frame of reference. Sure, and so Justin Murphy um, has become more aligned with these tendencies, and for. From your perspective, because you know more than I do, what's radical about what these individuals are proposing um, and what is promising? Well, what I was interested in, and I I wrote a post about this on on the Grand Hotel of his Tumblr, was a recent article Murphy wrote kind of polemicizing against another outsider intellectual who a pseudonymous substack writer named – Angelicism 01. I read it. Yeah. And um, and I thought that really showed the differences in approaches to being an outsider intellectual. And Murphy in his article – so let's, let's back up. There's a lot of I, – I, if you don't know all this lore, we'll try to explain it. So Angelicism 01 is a person who used to be some kind of academic who started a substack that's vaguely involved in this – world that I've called kind of the new conservatism, the the Lower East Side, right-wing, Catholic turn. Would this be the vibe shift? The vibe shift, okay. precisely. Uh, you know, the oh, you fascinating. Know, Dasha Nekrasova as a Catholic now. I think it's vaguely in that world. Um, and it's a very interesting substack. A lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He um, – we're not supposed to know this person's gender, but – this person is kind of right wing, so I don't think we're dealing with non-binarism. I'm just gonna say he, okay? It's just it's fucking he. Uh, so <laughs> he mm-hmm. uh, writes very much in what I think of as a slightly outdated theory idiom, like an '80s, '90s Derrida, Paul Deman, uh, Sarah Kaufman, all these deconstructionist names that kind of went out of fashion in academia. Yeah, I mean, the truth can mean anything you want it to mean if you don't take into account other people's perceptions. <laughs> right. That would be a very uncharitable way of characterizing. But what might interest you, Sam, is this person, Angelicism, 
is very anti-CCP, is very pro- Take down the CCP! Actually quotes Steve Bannon from time to time. Um, and I find it really almost charming that he often refers to the plight of the Tibetans. Now, you, you're a bit younger than me. When I was in high school, this was a key youth movement, Free Tibet. There were the great Free Tibet movements and Rage Against the Machine and Radiohead and R.E.M. would play. And I literally I dated the girl that founded my high school's chapter of Students for a Free Tibet. And you never hear about this issue right. anymore. It's as if it's completely wiped off Well, we the were map. free Tibet until we realized how good the Chinese are at making our shit. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So I respect that um, as a political interest. But Angelicism writes in this style. There's a, you know, sometimes he'll write just emojis or one word over and over again or refer to internet lore that you don't know what he's referencing. Twit, 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 jug, jug, jug. <laughs> Terry <laughs> um, But um, it, it's a style that's come to be called the schizo post. The schizo post. The schizo post. Illness See, is metaphor. mental illness, it's a one identity group that people can still shit on <laughs> right, without yes. recourse. Our apologies oh, schizo. to Susan Sontag. Do you know but... any schizophrenic people? Like... Have some respect. <laughs> well, yeah, just, like, um, I don't know, but um, that's what it's, that's just what it's called in this it's world. Schizo. So Murphy until a real schizo shows up and fucking kills them all. <laughs> right. Well, that's another thing. Is Angelicism often writes direct calls to violence. Um, he often uses the verb to columbine, and he'll say, "Somebody, please columbine," you know, this entire magazine staff. Um, so that's part of the schizo post Classy. genre. Yeah. So Murphy, I guess Angelicism somehow got invited into Urbit because I don't know wh- how the hell Urbit works. You need an invite into the system and they give you stars and planets. It's all very mysterious to me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, but Angelicism has been writing on Urbit and Murphy, interestingly, wrote kind of a polemic against Angelicism. And said, "See, Murphy's our brave soldier here." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Murphy says, "I respect what you're doing, but first of all, the style in which you write is very alienating, and people can't make much of it. But there's also a paradox about it, which is, yeah, you write this schizo shit and these emoticons, and that's an old way to say it, emojis, um, and you do all this this weird schizophrenic writing. But every so often, you're like." And as Derrida tells us, uh, you know, and as we learn from Agamben. So you're parasitic upon the currency of an institution you're trying to set yourself apart from, which is this theory world of academia in the late 20th century. So first of all, you're outsider enough to be off-putting, but all the cachet of your style depends on this older model of insiderdom that we're trying to do away with here on the outside of the university. Well, might might that be because angelicism is trying to court readers within the institution? That's possible, yeah. That, but I think Murphy thinks that's a false hope because I think for him, you just got to say farewell to academia. That's gone. The, oh, man, I loved college. I did, too. Uh, I loved – no, I was going to say I loved grad school. I didn't love grad school, but I did love college. Um, it, I think it's – it's whether we want or when it or not, it's, it's increasingly materially gone. There's not going to be tenure-track jobs. Right. It's going to turn into a jobs program or an elite finishing school at the top levels. That 20th century GI Bill dream where the whole citizenry receives a well-rounded liberal arts education is no longer possible. And so in that sense, academia is gone. Okay. Um, And Murphy says, well, with this double move, angelicism, of alienating yourself from the institution while trying to still draw on its devalued theory currency, you're not actually speaking to the audiences the outsider intellectual should be speaking to. And Murphy says, Mm. what you need to do is produce something of value that's content that real people can use. And I see him, he doesn't say this explicitly, but it seems to me that he says there's two kinds of people you can address. He gives the example of Jordan Peterson. He says Jordan Peterson addresses a broad popular audience. It's not the whole populace. It's a niche within the populace. But he forms around himself this part of the populace. And I said, so that means one model 
of the outsider is founding a cult. And then the second one is you provide intelligence that is actionable to people on the inside of emerging institutions. At the same damn time? No, I think these are two different things. You so can sort with, of choose. with the same paragraph, published paragraph, you you can't accomplish those that signaling. Maybe um, maybe you could. I don't simultaneous signaling. We'd have to. We'd have to. We'd have to. We'd have to. We'd have to call the Straussians. Yes, we'd have to, to call, call the Straussians. <laughs> I was gonna say we have to. We call... gotta get a resident Straussian. I know one. Do call into the pod to help us with this shit. Right, you know a Straussian. I, I don't know, know a couple. I know a couple um, of Straussians. I know some good Straussians. Yeah. I know some hard. I know some hard ass motherfucking G's. <laughs> Regulators, mount up. Um, <laughs> but um, so okay, so you got you 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 hit the populace, you hit the rubes in there. You tickle the rubes, you rub the belly of the rubes, you make them feel some kind of uplift so they don't kill themselves with fentanyl. But then also you talk to the the former chair of whatever the fuck English department who knows whatever the fuck publisher to. Oh to, no, I don't think you're ever supposed to talk to that person. They're out. So who's They're, the elite? Private sector fucks? Yep. Yeah, well, okay. let's just – can we throw out a name? Who? Peter Thiel. You want to talk to the – Oh, I just talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> I just got off the phone with him. Did he, I tell you that? Did he talk about the check he was depositing oh, in the yeah. grand podcast of this account? Yeah. No, so what we're referring That's why our to episodes there. episodes have been getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a there's, – so – Let's back all the okay, way up for so our listeners. Okay, so Rubes and Teal. So Peter Teal is diving into surfdom. Who knew? <laughs> Fucking assholes. Let's go. Whatever, man. Let's go. What do they say? So, what do they say? So Peter Teal is a Silicon Valley guy. He was the co-founder of PayPal, an original investor, I think, in Facebook. He wrote a famous book about entrepreneurialism, which I, I actually just read, even though I don't know anything about entrepreneurialism. But I wanted to get a gauge for his thinking. He's partially Straussian. He's partially a devotee of the Catholic philosopher René Girard. He's a, an intellectual. He studied at Stanford. Um, he's smart. He's a very smart guy. And he is rumored to – because his views are vaguely neo-reactionary. He said in a speech about a decade ago that he thinks democracy and capitalism have separated and he chooses capitalism. Oh, yeah. I saw a Chomsky lecture on, on that. Well, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that um, – that, <laughs> that uh, right, it's funny. It is the inverse of the left yeah. wing. He, he agrees with the left, but yeah. he sides with capitalism. Means and ends, baby. Yeah. So he says that democracy functionally – and this is also what Curtis Yarvin believes – democracy functionally doesn't exist. What we just have is bureaucracy that's strangling human freedom and innovation, a view which I found despicable up until – what we saw in the last two years with the pandemic, and I began to think, well, you know, there is maybe something to this. Um, and I don't need – we don't need to take this in a direction, well, okay, there's no democracy. We need a monarch. Um, but the ways in which democracy actually doesn't really exist and we just have this state corporate bureaucracy strangling every institution and, and now strangling, you know, the, the our very bodies, um, I think it's a serious critique. So – Teal, though, Teal and, and Yarvin, I think, theorize that a better form of government would be the sovereign and monopolistic corporation. Uh, Yarvin, I think, very much draws from federal or federated. Oh boy, um, I don't know. What's the difference? <laughs> one would be a centralized federal government, or one would be. Um, uh, um, Structures of authority within the state. Oh, I, I actually think much more anarchic and piratical than that. I think like, like a so city divided st down below, uh, uh, smaller than the state level. Yeah, like for the sovereign, we would be in the corporation of Minneapolis. And the attraction to that is it kind of, there is a liberal route to that, which it comes from contract theory, which is we come together, we all sign the contract that we're going to be party to this authoritative structure. You can leave at any time, but also what you signed away was freedom, so the sovereign can – and Curtis Yarvin very Can prevent you from, from chopping off your dick? Yeah. Um, but also the sovereign could make you chop off your dick. I mean it would depend. Their, their theory is patchwork. They want – 
thousands of little sovereign corporations, statelets, I think. And um, like how does one rise to the top? I think in Teal's view, they get get a bunch of BAP followers with Uzis. <laughs> well, this, these people are different from the BAP faction. I don't okay. I don't know Explain what explain that so is. I can help divide, set them against <laughs> each other. <laughs> well, Yarvin uh, came out in favor of all the COVID measures. He admired China's response. He says we need a strong central government. He's a guy who believes. There's always an iron fist, and he doesn't ever want it in the velvet glove. He wants to always see it. And so he. That's his metaphor? No, I just made that up. It's pretty good. You should work for him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so for Yarvin, he doesn't want any kind of dissimulation of power. He likes the spectacle of raw power. And I think the BAP people, whatever else you want to say about them, are more anarchic than that. I think they genuinely dislike the idea of a, a central government. <clears throat> or I don't. I mean, I don't know because BAP. We're not going to dox anybody, but BAP is some kind of stressian in real life, right? So who knows? What we don't know what he thinks. They're saying, yeah. yeah. Um, so BAP what, is Bronze Age pervert for the listeners. So what about Justin Murphy's article and his proposal for how radical? Uh, what do they say? Heterodox. Maybe. Unorthodox. Yeah, unorthodox, heterodox. Heterodox would be, that's the term economists use. He's a heterodox economist. Mm-hmm. Like Steve Keen and Philip Morosky and and um, the post-Keynesians. Mm-hmm. You know, the post-Keynesians are different from the new Keynesians. Which which are the modern monetary? Post-Keynesians. Post-Keynesians, okay. Yeah, Stephanie Kelton. Yeah, you know way more about this kind of thing yeah. than I do. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I don't know shit. I don't know any of the names you just said. <laughs> Steve Keen is from Australia. Okay. But they're, um, this post-Keynesians, they're, they believe in strong federal expenditure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they differ from the inflationary policies of the libertarians. Anyway. You're asking me a question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to know about what you think about, because I don't know very much about this crew, and I'm sure there's a, a lot of other people who are thinking and expressing views and um, who are invested in this project. I want to know, because Justin Murphy, naively, Justin Mur- Murphy seems kind of like a hero. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to, Justin Murphy's kind of, he's kind of got hero vibes. Right. Within this motley crew, right. there's something about it, some humanistic, mm-hmm. sensible, um, persuadable, yeah. democratic. Well, when you listen to him, he yeah. seems nice. Yeah. He seems like a because when you when you listen to his him on a podcast or his podcast, he feels like a warm person. Whereas Yarvin, I'm sorry, but to me, feels like an awful blowhard. Where does Teal fit in? Teal's a more shadowy figure. I was impressed by his book Zero to One, which was co-written. With Blake Masters, who is going to be the Senate, probably the Senate candidate from Arizona, might be if there's a red wave, the next senator from Arizona. Um, and Teal is found funding his candidacy as well as the candidacy of J.D. Vance in Ohio. So Teal has thrown his money behind the Trump populists. There are rumors <laughs> that Teal has thrown his money into what you earlier called the vibe shift, that a lot of these people who are post-left, new right – um, everything from the Red Scare podcast to um, to these ventures and n- newly reactionary downtown Manhattan art scene are somehow receiving money from Peter Thiel. Do I think that's true? I, I don't. I can't know. I don't know. Um, probably not. It seems unlikely. But um, I think the rumor points to something real, which is that there are there are dissident wings of the elite who don't like the way the the elite culture has gone. Okay. Three things. <laughs> Three things, John. First of all, all this talk, it's, it's making me fix to go get my, my Marxist cannon and load up. 
ideology critiques of the superstructure and point it right at this motley crew of, of post leftists. Yeah. This you you got a big juicy superstructure. Oh, you were left and then you're right. I wonder how that fucking happened. Do you think it had anything to do with I don't know class? Yeah. Yeah. When you take your own medicine. The second thing. Yeah. With <laughs> with Teal, Teal sees the importance of culture. Mm-hmm. But Teal is obviously using these people like pinatas. Yeah. He'll haul them out. He'll eat their liver to stay young. Mm-hmm. He will. Yeah. He will eat the red skur red skur girls. <laughs> he will eat them red skur girls' livers to stay young. He's gonna He's, suck he, the adrenochrome. He will eat he will suck down their livers before you but he will haul them out, man, and use them as little court little cultural missiles. Yeah. Because he's smart. He's a Straussy motherfucker. He'll stay young for a long time, man. He knows about this stuff. How to get people all confuzzled. Working behind the scenes. Third thing, do you think that with this Justin Murphy guy, you know way more of these characters than I do. Um, Justin Murphy, can we just start naming names? Can we name a few names for yeah. audience? Justin Murphy, Amy Therese. Yeah. Who else? Um, it kind of depends because it's a shifting scene. Benedict Cryptofash. Oh, Benedict Cryptofash. Benedict yeah. Cryptofash. Well, we so could... what are these orbits? What are these networks? Let's well, power map. Yeah, let's power let's map. Power so... map for the powerless. Let's <laughs> <laughs> power map for the powerless and well, the decadent and the in the spoiled. One new, one big new network yeah. is Compact Magazine. Did you follow the controversy around that? No. So there's a new magazine called Compact, founded by two Catholic conservatives and one post-left Marxist. And they represent an alliance against what they see as the decay of the liberal libertarian order. And they've um, – Murphy is not part of that. Murphy hasn't written for them. But um, people like Jeff Schulenberger have written for them. People like Malcolm Shayuna, who okay, used to okay. be pals with Amy Therese. I think they broke up. Um, as well as Nina Power, my former group blog colleague. So it's coming out. So these are some of the names? These are some of the names. Okay. Um, and I – so – this is funny, Sam, because you and I often disagree politically, and I never know how to characterize it because when I, when you and I disagree politically, yeah. you know how I feel? Oh. I feel like you are on the right and I am on the left. Okay. But I feel like that's probably because I actually haven't changed my politics that much in 20 years, and the scene has changed around us. And I feel like when people listen to us, particularly if they cl- they're closer to your age— I think they feel like you're on the left and I'm on the right. And it's very disorienting to me. Um, but I share a lot of the post-left critiques of mm. the liberal order today. Well, if I'm on the left, it's a, it's Bernie. Yeah. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Did you vote for Bernie twice? <laughs> I got Well, I got three of his T-shirts. Okay. <laughs> um, One of them is the cutoff for the gym. <laughs> so I can flex on the fucking... Right wing ass. <laughs> but that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying. So I sympathize with the a lot of the post left critique. I think American politics today is controlled by this superstructure of collaborations of governments and corporations and NGOs that have cynically adopted this identitarian woke ideology because it's easier to manage the populace with that kind of a divide and rule mentality. Um, and if that's the uh, so the negative part of what Compact is saying, I'm on board with, and even the negative part of what some of the Trump people are saying, I'm on board with, but I'm not on board with replacing that with some kind of refreshingly more openly authoritarian system. Oh, absolutely not for me, right? For me at least, and I'm with Barack Obama on this stuff. I get discouraged when I see how, how people. Not only discouraged, suspicious when I see how easily people are persuaded to lose faith in our system. A system that I've said it before and I'll say it again. We've had one constitution since our founding. Yeah. Italy has had 11. Yeah. Yeah. European countries are going through, tried out various forms of authoritarianism, right. had the same debates, the same. The Fifth Republic, the Eighth Empire. The like... same. The same types of resentments and factionalism that we're going through now did not design systems enough to contain them and satisfy enough of the population to reproduce itself. 
And ultimately, what happened, learned from us and took the money that we earned from this proper design of a political system and rebuilt themselves. Right. Okay? So Mm -hmm. that's the facts. Okay. So that being said, remember that we've had one, we're the most politically mature. We're not the oldest nation, but we're the most politically mature. The idea that people en masse through primarily cultural entrances would begin to – to advocate a destabilization of the system to which they're incredibly naive and also benefit points to me that it isn't them, but it's it's agents in more with more power who are nursing and stoking those type of flames for interests and groups of people around the world who are anti-American mm-hmm. at their core. So what am we supposed to do with that? Well, I so I. I, I don't disagree with you, and I certainly agree. I'm not sympathetic at all. You hear more and more people on the left and the right. I mean, some guy said in a, the fucking View the other day to, to Joy Behar or something, somebody said the Constitution is trash. I, I can't go with that. Um, and I don't care if you have a left-wing or a right-wing critique of it. The Constitution is what as, we have. As <laughs> Justin Murphy might say, that's retarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our apologies. Um, but, yeah, so I'm with you there. I do think, though— there are many cultural and aesthetic aspects of the vibe shift I like. Um, I do think then keep them cultural, but I think we can. I think that'll be fine. I think like I think the I think there was a a really strangulating sentimentality and over earnestness and identitarianism in the last ten years of official liberal oh, culture yeah. that had to be resisted. Um, we had to have this this bitter, cutting, red scare irony. Sure. But does it have to go from, I love free speech, to I love authoritarianism? Right. Yeah, you have to keep that. Is, is that the bait? You know, is that the right. bait and then there, there's the hook? Right, right. Yeah, so I think you have to be very careful um, what kind of post-leftist you become. And I think you have to keep in view the the realistic structures of a liberal democratic society that sustain free speech. If they want a heritage, if they want dignity, individualism, um, tradition, mm-hmm. if this is kind of what they want, yeah, a know, lot of them, yeah. Then try to find a liberal nationalism, mm-hmm. and do Murphy... not seek to give away your. We talk about so- the sovereign, sovereignty. Do not f- get flirted and seduced by authoritarian tendencies. Yeah, and Murphy, to be fair, always speaks highly of America and says he he bets on America in the 21st century because he thinks China and Russia are too top-down authoritarian. He doesn't, I don't think, have that attraction to, to particularly China that the more technocratic post-left has. Here's the thing I noticed. All the infuriating... Liberals, I know, I know them all. I know them all. <laughs> Sound like Trump there? <laughs> I know them all. I know all the shit libs. <laughs> um, I know how they think. On the surface, it's sort of this anti-Americanism facade. It's this overwhelming progressivism that does away with sacred th- sacred traditions, violates natural differences. All these things, you know. I can understand that you in the way they use it psychologically to guilt and to coerce, and they have more money than most people, so. They're in more corporate boards, and yeah, they have a lot of power. They don't have all the power, but yeah, I get it, the lips, right? It seems like holy shit, right? On the surface, they don't like America. They want a transhumanist, gender-ambiguous future. Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe. But on the other hand, you have the conservatives now who have this veneer, especially these monarchists, these post-left Peter Thiel people. You have these monarchists. And they have a veneer of investment in American heritage and kind of appreciation of America and wanting to uphold inherent freedoms of an individual and, and natural rights even. They never say talk about natural rights. It's weird because, you know, of course, it's not given by a king. Um, and you want to turn in a system which is dispensed by a king, but there's many wars that were fought over the fact that it's not dispensed by a king. And that's what the whole country is built on. But they had this veneer surface of appreciating American. So you have these two opposites, right? And if you're a young, you know, person like me who's who's susceptible to this stuff, you might meet that surface and choose to go towards the right mm-hmm. and might find a more immediate personal freedom in what they're saying and how they're interacting rather than like the harsh liberalist 
guilt complex that that mm-hmm. is erected. But if you go one behind and you go and the, and the liberals, a lot of them don't even know that they're, they can be so stupid and unconscious and devoid of tradition. But the spirit and the training with which they emerge, those people, as annoying as they are, the motherfucker in the Patagonia shirt, you know, walking out of the 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 you know pricey apartment complex even if he doesn't know wherever he works those people have been trained in a way and i assure you this those people have been trained and are ideologically positioned in a way that if you go a couple of steps behind the progressive veneer they are american they believe in liberalism they do they believe in individual rights and even if they don't know it Mm -hmm. but if you go one step behind the veneer of this new right who purports an appreciation of American her- heritage and its continuity, you go one step behind, they are not American. Mm-hmm. They're not. You know, <laughs> I disagree with that because I have a much darker view than you. Please, please. <laughs> I, I, think, I think everything you just said about the right is correct. Okay. But I, I, I don't actually believe what you said about I don't think behind the veneer of the top Of the Patagonia. Le- yeah. left. I, I think what's behind that is the technocratic nightmare. Maybe. Um, and I think we need to unless we get in there and scramble them up and recircuit them. Well, that, back to, I, I think that's where Murphy might be right. That that what are you and I doing? We're outside the university, um, certainly in my case, not exactly by choice, and we're addressing an audience that's not inside any institutions that we're aware of. Though they're probably inside all sorts of institutions, we're trying to seed and promulgate these true liberal ideas outside of these institutions that have been corrupted, whether they're the older institutions that have been taken over by some quasi-Maoist techno-fascist worldview on the left or these emerging um, uh, corporatist and illiberal and monarchist institutions coming from Silicon Valley on the right. Which is a political hope on the right that's positioned deceptively behind a cultural surface which seems more tolerant and inviting and freely expressive. Probably, yeah. yeah. And that's smart, and that's why Teal works knows about this stuff, and that's how they do it, and it's smart. We're and really blowing our chance for the Peter Teal money, you know? <laughs> I already got the Peter Teal money. <laughs> or do you think he'd fund us to seem to be opposed to him even as we secretly promote his ideas in ways the audience might not even be aware of? If I got money from Peter Thiel, you know what I'd do with it? What? I would buy a billboard in Minneapolis uh-huh. with a big P, with a big picture of Peter Thiel's face <laughs> and a crown on it. Uh-huh. Fair enough. <laughs> so, um, in conclusion, <laughs> um, I was fascinated by that discussion on what people like me and Sam, who are doing intellectual work outside the official institutions of the intelligentsia, what we're doing and who we're trying to talk to. And I I hope that the people we're trying to talk to, um, whatever emerging or uh, declining institution you belong to, or if you belong to no institution, that you keep in mind the ways in which your freedom is a valuable thing that you can continue to express through various political, economic, and cultural venues, and try not to let anyone take it away from you for any pretext. And I would be a Straussian if I could. <laughs> but I really would. I, if I could handle that shit, right. I would. Just like I'd like to be a uh, international criminal mastermind. It's the it's it's same, same set of skills. But yeah, like a Bill Crystal Straussian, not a Michael Millerman Straussian. I like Michael Millerman. I like Mega Millerman, but he doesn't have any power. No, he doesn't. No, he's very you kind of got to have power of your Straussian. Right. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I should. I would want to be a Straussian, but I can't because I. Sh- to me, I'm rumbly, tumbly, bumbly, right down the dirt road, and. You can come along, ride with me, and free wins and no tyranny for all of you. And that's what I care about. And I, I'm not perfect, and John's not perfect. We're all not perfect. But the, you know what the greatest part of democracy is, John? With that. We can correct. Yeah. We can make correctives. And in a system which is ruled by one person, <clears throat> you cannot correct. Exactly. You cannot correct. And so correct us. If you don't like what we're saying... If if you take exception to this or whatever, or we brought your name up, if we brought your name up and you don't like the way that you were talked about, correct us. Yeah. Come on the pod. Come on the pod.
Justin Murphy, Peter Thiel, yeah. Amy Therese. Amy Therese. Dasha, Anna, come on the pod. Come on the pod. <laughs> come on the pod. 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 Adamantine chains and penal fire Who durst defy the omnipotent to arms Thomas Pinchon The reverend producing a scarred old notebook Covered in cheap leather Begins to read William Shakespeare of nothing. Speak again. Frederick Douglass. We need the storm. Frederick Douglass. The whirlwind. The earthquake. Frederick Douglass. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. Frederick Douglass. The conscience of the nation must be roused. Frederick Douglass. The piety of the nation must be startled. The storm, the hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. So, John, I've been watching the Supreme Court hearings uh, this past week. What a news cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I feel like that's what we've been saying for two years. What a news cycle. Right. We just simply have to adjust our threshold of the intensity of the news cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And I couldn't help but notice the contributions of Senator Lindsey Graham. Oh, what was he? I haven't been totally watching, Sam. What's he been saying? Well, I haven't been totally watching too much either, but I've seen some clips. And he's, he's a bloviating, distended mass of kind of these hilariously but immorally leveled critiques and accusations mm-hmm. of Judge uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. He played this role, almost a drunken merry prankster or this potential madman or in the Dostoevsky, Gustav Aschenbach, Gustav von Aschenbach sense. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> well, could be. <laughs> we've heard some rumors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> What does Lindsay do at night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like he's entering a new phase of his career. What with these threats of of assassination of Putin and oh right, yeah, I remember that. And I can't help but think that it's calculated. Mm-hmm. As this um, movement toward a populism, and that he is playing an American statesman of the highest level, who is spinning in a vortex of irrationality. Mm -hmm. And what purpose does that serve? I mean, we could ask what purpose does it serve for him politically, maybe, but what purpose does that serve in the total image of the American state and Congress to have a bloviating, irrational, unpredictable southern senator? Yeah, there's long been that idea going back to <clears throat> Kissinger and the Nixon administration that it was helpful for the American state to seem on the international stage as if it were irrational, that you didn't know what would happen if you crossed it, that these these are some deranged cowboys that could fly off the handle at any moment. Do you think Putin is exercising that same tactic in in Russia? Maybe, maybe. Um, 
though his, I mean, I, I don't know because you have to listen to him through a translator, but he does his demeanor doesn't seem deranged in the same way as some of mm. our politicians. Slightly blustered, but he does he does a lot with a little. Putin. He does, yeah. He 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 his kind of there's a kind of reserve that's menacing with him. It is a reserve. It's an elf like reserve. El elf like elf like. I've seen I, him as an elf. I guess I could see that, yeah. Because he's a short guy, he's right? He's short. He's, yeah. a, he's a button, long buttoned, ruddy nose. Mm -hmm. You should put a little Santa Claus hat on him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Maybe attach some bells to his, <laughs> his cuffs. <laughs> but the only presence that he's making is, is missiles for Ukraine. Yeah. That's not... It's not very festive. It's not mirthful. Back to the trial, um, I was watching MSNBC, as I do every day. Mm -hmm. I watch MSNBC every day. MSDNC. Mm -hmm. MSDNC MS for sure. <laughs> MSCIA. MSCIA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are only epithets if you, if you aren't down with the team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's like leftists and, and right-wingers will insult me and say, oh, you know, you're an imperialist or, oh, you're, you're part of the patriarchy or you're part of this and that. And, and I say to them, as if that's an insult. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so MSNBC. MS, as I do every day. And two TVs, Fox News, MSNBC, watching both. Right. You're a fool not to. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but notice Senator Josh Hawley garnering quite a bit of attention. Mm -hmm. Were you following it? Well, I know I, I don't watch TV as much, but I, I definitely saw that Twitter thread that he came out with. That was the preface to his. Line of question. Yeah, he's a he's a good tweeter. Yeah, he got a lot of attention because he was asking uh, Judge Brown or Judge Jackson. Which, <laughs> Judge Brown. I Jackson. was, and you know how this coincided with uh, the Clarence Thomas scandal, in the sense about the Ginny Thomas. Yeah, Ginny Thomas. Ginny yeah, Thomas. Yeah. So yeah. it was in the news cycle at the same time, right? Which seemed a little perfect in coordination. It's like one yeah. black judge down, one black judge up. Right. And I, I, I would have to assume that's yeah. coordinated at Langley. That's like um. some that's some novelistic sensibility. This is like that's a job for Ben Rhodes, the old <laughs> right. literary cat. Yeah, MFA Ben yeah. Rhodes. MFA. <laughs> Motherfucking assassin. That's what that stands <laughs> for. Ben Rhodes. <clears throat> yeah, I saw a feature of him years back. He was like, look at my bookshelf. Don DeLillo's the best writer. Yeah, I saw that. You yeah. saw that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We should have him on the pod. Yeah, Ben Rhodes, come on the pod. Yeah, just talk about literature. Relax. We don't have to talk about any nasty nasty political stuff. No. I don't, I'm not curious about the fixation on Iran you people seem to have. No. Um, but we can just I, we can just talk about Libra, right? <laughs> so, so Josh Hawley. So Josh Hawley, oh, but so the Clarence Thomas thing happened, and then Judge Jackson was simultaneous, right? Yeah. And then for about two hours, I got it confused in my brain. I said, Justice Clarence Jackson, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's how I right. Referred to. <laughs> now, Clarence. when I I remember when I was a kid, the Clarence Thomas hearings word beyond on because they did them on the weekend for some reason mm -hmm. and so you'd go as a you know i was whatever eight, eight little nine, squirt nine years old little aschenbach toy and, <laughs> right <laughs> and i'd go to put on my saturday cartoons and there would be you know peter jennings r.i.p and he would say fuck yeah he would say if you're if you're a child tuning in for your cartoons this this is not appropriate but you should go, and this was masterful marketing. You should go get your parents to watch this. Wow! <laughs> you know, and of course, I did watch it. I, rem I remember watching it. The pubic hair and the gin and whatnot. Um, mm. Pubic hair and gin. Yeah. So one of the things Anita Ginny. Anita Ginny. <laughs> wow. One of the things that Clarence Thomas supposedly said to Anita Hill was that he had a, right here is what it was so clarence thomas had said to anita hill there's a pubic hair in my pepsi and senator 
And Senator Arlen Specter of Pennsylvania, my senator, RIP, discovered or remembered that this was a line from the novel and the film The Exorcist that the degenerate old director mm -hmm. Burke had said um you know there's a stray pubic hair in my gin at the mm -hmm. you know at one of the party sequences and So the Clarence Exorcist. Thomas was capable of that level of elusiveness? I think the insinuation was that she made it up and that's where she got it but um, that's this is the nice, Spectre's insinuation. This is but, a nice kerfuffle. Yeah, this but is interesting. <laughs> but it's almost it is interesting that that he got it from from yeah. there. And he's yeah. an interesting figure. Clarence Thomas yeah. was a black nationalist. And, yeah, I believe Corey Robin wrote a book, The Enigma of right. Clarence Thomas, precisely, which yeah. he hasn't stopped promoting in five years. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and I haven't read the book, but I read some of the articles spun yeah. off of it, and I, I think he makes a good case. Yeah, you know, he's. I don't think he's long for Twitter, Corey Robin. Oh, no. He's, he's bitch too, slapped on yeah, Twitter. He gets it all the time, yeah. He, he needs to hang with guys like us. I know, and he I feel doesn't— like we would be compatible with Corey Robin. Right, but he wouldn't think so. He would think we were bad people. Yeah, and, you know, with his tail between his legs. Yeah. Corey Robin, come on the pod. Come on the pod. Find in the fellowship with common man <laughs> the confidence needed <laughs> to reach your destiny. <laughs> So don't Sam, go fishing. Don't go fishing in the PC, you know, aquarium. Don't go, don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls, Corey Robin. Don't go looking to make allies with people who never ally with you. Come, come over here. Come join us. You know you love the you reactionary know you, mind. Yeah. <laughs> come join us and and you know lighten up on Israel. That's step one. Step there's, one. There's, a, there's a Pistelli formula to, <laughs> to, be, to moving from leftism to a sort of, a sort of redeemable liberal conservatism. <laughs> right. Step one is to ease up on Israel. The world is unstable and we need norms. And all the replies are like, can't you listen to the yeah. marginalized? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets fucking polywhapped. He has no way to defend himself. No. He has no Cuz he's bought in a lot to these some of these ideas. Cuz he relies on their dollars right. to get it buy his books and yeah. he relies on teaching gigs. Right. That's the thing I mean, about I do these too. <laughs> sure, but these professors yeah. who get per public personas and become public intellectuals. Yeah. The level of repressed conservative anger that they have is so astronomical oh, high. Yeah, it's, off, it's the charts. off the fucking charts and that's because they don't i mean what i try to do is i try not to i try not to give all my ground right away like i just don't like if somebody says to me you privileged white says whatever it's like no that's mm -hmm. not we're not having that mm -hmm. that's inadmissible in, right. in a liberal society we're not having that identitarian mm -hmm. argument no and and i start there so Exactly, and but they th they it's it, they're not blameless because these professors, their secret conceit is that if they sympathize and make alliance with these factions and these movements, they their conceit is that they're smarter than them. Yeah, that's the, and yeah, and that they can within mm -hmm. they can reform and lead. Right, and then they figure out that they can't. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> because and, they're not smarter. They're they're the ones getting taken for a ride. Yeah, by they're this getting rhetorical taken for, for sure maneuvering. <laughs> but they can't manipulate and control the way that they can have for however many years manipulate and control their students right. or their audiences. And so they have that conceit and then they get swallowed up into it and it becomes a series of like compensations and they don't let go of the conceit. Mm -hmm. Um and you can see, here's my Milton Friedman moment. As you can see, where <laughs> that's right, bitches. <laughs> uh, you can see when Milton Friedman said, people always talk about the open-mindedness and the liberality of thought of the academics or the, the philosophers or the thinkers. But I have never encountered so much closed-mindedness. In, in fact, moral open-mindedness I find in, in the the temperament and um, – the attitude of the businessman mm -hmm. who's adjustable to market signals and will take <laughs> in new ideas. And, yeah. And I think that these people, I've noticed people who've 
moved from progressivism, turned against woke politics. I hate that term, by the way, woke politics. Yeah, I don't like it either. <clears throat> it's just pithy, and it's uh, has an economy to it. But woke politics, the people who've turned to this new conservatism, or at least it's sort of conservative liberalism, they're people like they're journalists. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're writers. They're TV personalities. Mm-hmm. But which professors have done that? Right. To yeah. the extent of how many professors would probably like to do that? Yeah. Well, they're constrained because they are in environments that are not just controlled by student expectations in an amorphous way, but there's bureaucracies. So if you say something untoward as an academic, then it's not just your students will reject you or your bosses, the administrators, will reject you, but there'll be some process of bureaucratic investigation. So oh, Sam, you had an idea about Josh Hawley. I think about Josh Hawley all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Josh Hawley, so... I saw him going off on this trial, and he caught a lot of shit in the media, and people thought he was super fucking racist because he was going over cases that Judge Jackson Brown... Is it Brown Jackson? <laughs> the more God you ask, it. the less I know. <laughs> the more I ask, the more I'm fuzzled. <laughs> but this is a name. See, of all the names that I say on this show, this is a name I want to get right. Right. I think it's Brown Jackson. It's like when Tucker Carlson was calling Kamala Kamala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you got where was so who's the what's the name of the kid in Death in Venice? Tadzio. Tadzio. Yeah. So Alexander Tadzio Cortez. Cortez. <laughs> yeah. Von Aschenbach was after that that. That Alexandria Tatsio Cortez. <laughs> um, so Josh Hawley. So Josh Hawley. Tatsio Cortez, Josh Hawley. Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Judge Kentaji Brown Jackson. Yes. So I was watching this trial. Tatsio Cortez was. <laughs> she wasn't. She didn't show up. She was too busy, she was too busy getting chased by Fashion Buck. <laughs> She was, uh, uh, which, you know, is code word for Bill de Blasio. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And he was was going over cases and accusing her of being soft on pedophiles. Mm -hmm. And MSNBC was saying that essentially he was being racist as fuck because he was, the implication was that she gets down with criminals. And that black people are criminals, or she mm. looks out for the criminal world, and of course, inciting the anti-pedophilia mm-hmm. rage of the conservative base. So yeah. it was like, but Holly was going over. He said, in this instance, you, you get minimum below the minimum. In this instance, you get minimum below the minimum. What's the difference between producing and watching? Yeah, I fail to see how race comes into it. I, I don't think that's a particularly racialized uh, attack on her. I think it was more. I mean, I actually think it was the the racial part was when they kept asking her about critical race theory and right and all of that. But and, I, and I, testing allegiance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I think when they were asking her about the pedophile stuff and when they, you know, the the what's a woman thing, um, I feel like that was to the to the sexual conservatism. Part what if of when it? they asked when I, when they asked her what's a woman, Judge Brown just stood up and struck a pose. <laughs> yeah, it was like. This is a woman. <laughs> right. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't, I fail to see why they keep playing this game. Why, why don't they just, um, I, I think it's time maybe for the Democrats to, to, to come a little bit back to the center on this kind of stuff. Um, on gender? On all this stuff, on all of the destro- the destruction of every norm that, we this polarization is I know you're not the thing you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to do a both sidesism. You're not allowed to say, well, both sides are doing it. But when you have this polarization spiral, mm-hmm. it does rely on both sides. Mm-hmm. And um 
And whether or not the conservatives are going to marginalize some of the linear aspects of their base, which they should do, uh, the Democrats should at least maybe meet the American people a little bit in the middle on some of this. Obviously, you and I know, because we've read who, Nietzsche, mm -hmm. that the more you think about something, the more you see that it's just composed of language. And obviously, the more you think about what a woman is, the less you're going to be able to define it. And many of these things are discursively constructed. But mm -hmm. we do have these habits and perceptions and linguistic traditions built up over time that aren't purely arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we regard them all as purely arbitrary, if we just start knocking out this wall and that wall and the next wall, the roof might eventually come in. I think so too. Yeah, people always say, well, people will say, okay, what is a woman? It's a biological definition. It's like biological. Yeah. But I think it has more to do with vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> So, and then all this heat came onto Josh Hawley, and he's an object of total, total, what would you call it, ire mm -hmm. in the liberals? I have a special affinity for Josh Hawley. Okay. A part of me, a part of me that I don't like to show all the time. <laughs> he means his heart. <laughs> <laughs> Might love Josh Holly. Okay, T tell me more. And I got accused from my parents when I was defending Josh Holly. I love to defend Josh Holly. January sixth, I took a week break from defending him. Just <laughs> let it cool down. <laughs> um, but I like to defend Josh Holly. And then my parents said, "Do you have a man crush on Josh Holly?" <laughs> and I said, "At least I don't have a man crush on Adam Kissinger." <laughs> Fair. <You know? laughs> yeah. And if I did, you know, we'll see. We'll see who's more of the, worthy of the man crush. <laughs> but Josh Hawley came into my life at a time when I was weak, and he gave me strength. Mm -hmm. And that time, John, was the beginning of 2020. Mm -hmm. Right as the pandemic was reaching our continent, and the frenzy set in. And people were sinking into their homes, isolated, despondent, fearful for their lives. When the specter of a fatal disease set loose by the Chinese government. Be careful. <laughs> allegedly set loose by the Chinese government. Was making its way around the world. And we didn't know if we'd see our loved ones in six months. Mm -hmm. The world around us was quite simply shutting down. And Nancy Pelosi was munching on dumplings in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. I remember. <laughs> Suddenly, Stephen K. Bannon <laughs> came through. <laughs> came through over the airwaves, alongside Jack Maxey and the good old days, real war room. Yeah, not this bullshit now. <laughs> but back when there was one object of discussion, when it was the inauguration of war room pandemic, and there was one country which we had to hold accountable. That was China. Yeah. They called it the CCP virus. CCP virus. Jack Maxey, Stephen K. Bannon, Stephen Miller. Mm -hmm. No, Jason Miller. Jason Miller. Raheem Kassam. I wouldn't have watched if it was Stephen Miller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Miller, Raheem Kassam. <clears throat> and I was weak and I was afraid and we were weak and we were afraid and we didn't know what was going to happen. And I felt... I had just graduated from college, and I felt like, did I just get mind-raped by my college education? Mm -hmm. I had those thoughts. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was unsteady. Like many young people today, I was unsteady. Who am I? What's my identity? Does identity even matter? But I'm scared, and I'm scared with the rest of the world, and I'm angry, and I want my country to deliver me some hope and some comfort and some strength. And I remember one particular night, I had Fox News going on the TV because I had been, as I mentioned, I had been getting that sort of security from conservative media. And I was putting, and you know what's better than almost anything 
It's when you discover this new ideology that you had vilified, and you wonder if you'd been wrong the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you sort, of trans- you sort of forbidden transgression into this other ideology. Yeah. I've done that yeah. many times many in my times. life with left, right, center. <clears throat> right. It's an underrated experience. It could be natural, um, which is why the Democrats may lose in 2022. Um, and I was beginning that process, and everything I knew was wrong, and I was losing my left-wing friends. And I was hearing how shrill and obnoxious they were, and and maybe I believed in something, and maybe maybe I believed in this country, for all it had given me, but I was still afraid and trembling, and I and I was I thought that I had COVID, and I panicked, and I I had a and I had a violent bowel movement, <laughs> <laughs> I felt sick, <laughs> I felt sick, and I was laying there curl, curled up in a fetus-like posture, quaking, having dreams of the red dragon Chinese government haunting my dreams and killing my family, mm-hmm. and quaking on the floor, and Fox News, you know, going off in the distance, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And suddenly, on my parents' 65-inch plasma HDTV, <laughs> there appears an interviewee from Sean Hannity, and it's a senator from Missouri, Senator Josh Hawley. Mm-hmm. And his, his long, chiseled visage, his young, youthful, valoric visage <laughs> appeared upon the screen. Mm-hmm. And the molecules within me awoke, ar- ar- arose, were stimulated by his confident face, his relaxed eyelids, his mouth slightly apart, with his lip upper lip and somewhat of a grin, his eyes gazing skeptically at the chaos of the world as if he was in some sort of control, some sort of command. Mm-hmm. And Hannity asked him, what do you make of this, Holly? And Josh Hawley said, Well, I think one of the things that coronavirus has done, Tucker, is just lay bare the fact that our globalized economy is an economy that really works for China, first and foremost, and not for the United States, certainly not for American workers. Our supply chains, where are they now? In China. Our medical devices, where are they made? China. Our pharmaceuticals, where are they made? China. Our big tech companies, who do they want to do business with? China. I think it's time that we asked ourselves, what kind of an economy have we allowed to be created, and what is it doing for American workers? We need some structural reform. The Chinese Communist Party has systematically lied to its own people who paid the price. They lied to the world. Now we're all paying the price. And that's why I think we ought to have an international investigation about where this originated. We know where it was. It was China. China ought to be held to account, and they ought to be made to foot the bill for what the world, including the United States, is now suffering. That's a powerful story, Sam. 